Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Beware the Redwood Bureau, a secret organization which captures and researches creatures and objects that defy explanation. Their reckless procedures have led to countless innocent lives lost. I am Agent Conroy. I worked for the Redwood Bureau, but I have escaped them to leak their reports to the unsuspecting public. You have the right to know. Vast uncharted expanses of Africa, where ancient traditions and modern struggles intertwine, lies a landscape rich with hidden tales and unsolved mysteries. It's a continent where every rock and river, every village and valley has a story to tell, stories that often remain unheard in the wider world. As a former agent of Redwood Bureau, I've had the dubious privilege of encountering many of these stories firsthand. What I've learned is that beneath the surface of our quest for progress and prosperity lies a darker narrative, one that involves exploitation, forgotten histories, and occasionally, encounters with phenomena that defy our understanding of the natural world. In my time with the Bureau, I've seen how the relentless pursuit of resources can lead to the disruption of ancient sites and communities. Take, for instance, the numerous mining operations across the continent. On the surface, they're a search for minerals and wealth. But dig a little deeper, and you'll find a legacy of disarray and sometimes unexplained occurrences that leave even the most seasoned experts baffled. In the dense jungles of Southeast Asia, a case from my bureau days lingers in my memory. A group of scientists driven by skepticism ignored the local villagers' warnings and ventured into what they considered a sacred forest, said to be protected by a spirit called Anurak. They sought tangible evidence, dismissing the lore as mere superstition. What they encountered within those shrouded woods was beyond their comprehension. Emerging days later, their arrogance was replaced by deformed limbs and horrific features. They spoke in clicks and pops that seemed an alien language. The experience altered them so profoundly that they were taken by the Bureau, where they lived the remainder of their lives in containment, undergoing rigorous and brutal testing. This incident, and others like it, highlight a troubling pattern in our pursuit of the tangible wealth, resources, scientific knowledge. We often overlook the intangible, the stories, the legends, the warnings passed down through generations. These are not just tales. They are a collective memory of our interactions with the world, reminders of boundaries that exist for a reason. In Africa, 
the line between myth and reality is often blurred. The continent's rich tapestry of cultures and histories is interwoven with tales of entities and spirits that embody the land's raw, untamed nature. As someone who's witnessed the Bureau's attempts to rationalize or contain these phenomena, I can tell you that there are things out there that defy our conventional understanding of the world. So, as we delve into the story of this particular village, remember that it's not just about the events that unfolded there. It's about a larger truth, a reminder of our place in this world and the consequences of forgetting that. Sometimes, the most valuable things aren't what we may unearth, but the wisdom passed the wisdom down from those, who came, from those us. who came before us. The sun was beginning its descent, casting long shadows over the dusty landscape as our jeep rumbled along the unpaved road to the village. The air was thick with the heat of the late African afternoon, buzzing with the distant sound of insects and the occasional cry of a bird. Our team, composed of seasoned human rights advocates, felt a familiar mix of anticipation and apprehension. I'm Marcus, the team leader, accompanied by Lena, our legal expert, Tom, the photographer, Sarah, the anthropologist, and David, our liaison with the local NGOs. We had been dispatched to investigate reports of human rights abuses linked to a major mining company operating in this remote part of Africa. According to our intel, the company had established a significant presence in the area, exploiting both the land and its people. Our mission was to document the situation, gather testimonies, and assess the extent of the exploitation. As we approached the village, nestled in a clearing surrounded by dense forest, something felt off. From a distance, the collection of mud-brick houses with thatched roofs seemed typical of the region. But as we drew closer, an eerie silence hung in the air. A stark contrast to the vibrant village life we'd come to expect. We parked our jeep near the village center, a small and dusty open area surrounding a well. Stepping out, the first thing I noticed was the absence of the usual welcoming committee that typically greets visitors. No children playing, no adults working. There was a profound stillness that seemed to hold the village in its lonely grasp. Lena pointed to small details that added to the sense of unease. Look at the laundry, she said, gesturing to a line of clothes fluttering in the gentle breeze. It's been left out, as if someone was just here. Tom's camera clicked as he captured the scene, his brow furrowed in concentration. Something's not right, he muttered, scanning the area through his lens. Sarah who had been to similar villages on previous missions, looked around with a frown. It's like everyone just disappeared, she said. Her voice held a note of concern that echoed our collective unease. David, who had been quiet during the drive, finally spoke up. We need to find someone. There has to be an explanation. His words spurred us into action breaking the tension that seemed to be holding us in place. 
we split into two groups, agreeing to meet back at the jeep in an hour. Our task was to find someone, anyone, who could shed light on the situation. But as Lena and I approached the nearest house, its door firmly shut, an uncomfortable thought crossed my mind. What if some sort of disease had ravaged this place? Were we at risk? As the sun dipped towards the horizon, it painted the village in a fading, warm, golden light. My mind was elsewhere, unable to see the beauty amongst the discordance. I felt like an intruder in this abandoned town, surrounded by an eerie silence that preceded the coming darkness. Lena and I walked cautiously along the narrow path between the houses, our footsteps a sound that seemed to intrude on the quiet that fell like a blanket over the village. The houses, with their walls of sun-dried mud bricks and thatched roofs, stood empty, their windows like unblinking eyes watching our every move. We approached one of the houses that had its door ajar. Pushing it open, we were greeted by a scene of normal life abruptly abandoned. A pot of stew sat cold on a clay stove. Its contents congealed. Plates were sat on a wooden table. Chairs pushed back as if the occupants had risen in a hurry. A child's toy lay forgotten on the floor, adding a growing sense of urgency to the bizarre situation. Tom, Sarah, and David, exploring the other side of the village, reported similar findings. Houses locked from the inside, as if the villagers had barricaded themselves against some unseen threat, but were still missing. Personal belongings scattered, meals left uneaten, clothes still hung. It was as if the villagers had vanished into thin air. The air grew colder as evening approached, casting long shadows that seemed to play tricks on our eyes. David, ever the pragmatic, suggested a rational explanation. Maybe there was some kind of threat, an animal attack or a disease scare. It could have driven them to seek shelter elsewhere. The village didn't just feel empty, it felt like a place forsaken, a place we didn't belong. As we regrouped near the jeep, the decision was made to search the outskirts of the village before nightfall. We needed answers, and time was running out. But as we ventured towards the dense tree line that bordered the village, a palpable sense of dread grew with the looming shadows. The forest, with its darkening depths, seemed to grow more sinister and oppressive in each passing second. The last rays of the sun disappeared, leaving us in a twilight world where everything felt eerie and unnatural. As the darkness spread its tendrils, the first sign of life, or rather, a semblance of it, came in the form of some missing villagers. They emerged from the shadows, somewhere from the edge of the village, their movements erratic, almost animalistic. Their eyes wide with a primal fear, looking through us, fixated towards something unseen. They ran with a desperation that was chilling to witness, 
as if the very hounds of hell were nipping at their heels. We tried to communicate, reaching out to them, but it was futile. Their minds were elsewhere, trapped in a terror we could not fathom. In their flight, they paid us no heed, as if we weren't even there. The sight of those haunted souls, so consumed by fear, sent shivers down my spine. Amidst the chaos, a man bolted past us, his face etched with an expression of sheer terror. We managed to grasp his arm, trying to halt his panicked flight. His skin was cold, clammy. He thrashed wildly like a trapped animal, his eyes not seeing us, but instead focused on something far more terrifying in his mind. With a strength born from desperation, he wrenched free, vanishing into the growing darkness that had begun to envelop the village. It was then we saw him, a figure dragging himself painfully along the dusty path. His legs were lifeless, trailing behind him as he used his arms to pull his body forward. His eyes were wide, his breaths coming in ragged gasps. We approached cautiously, aware that the scene unfolding before us was something born of a danger we'd yet to comprehend. David knelt beside him, trying to make sense of his frantic, disjointed words. The man spoke in a local dialect, his voice a mix of pain and terror. Cave. Taken. Leech. David translated what few words he could understand, his voice trembling. The word the man used for leech was repeated, laden with a fear that I could feel. The man's eyes suddenly widened further, a look of absolute terror overtaking his face. In one swift, horrifying motion, he produced the knife and plunged it into his own throat. One final act of utter hopelessness. Choosing death over facing the unspeakable horror he believed to be descending upon the village. We stood there in shock as he bled out. The man's desperate action amplifying the terror that had gripped the village. The air was suddenly thick with the sounds of night. The distant howl of an animal the rustling of leaves in the breeze. The darkness seemed alive, moving, shifting, hiding what lurked within it. The aftermath of the man's suicide brought a suffocating stillness that seemed to engulf us like the very death we just witnessed. Our minds were struggling to make sense of the cryptic warning about the leech and the desperation behind his final actions. As we stood there, rooted to the spot in shock, the eerie calm was shattered by a disturbing shuffling sound echoing from the mines just beyond the village. A solitary figure emerged, its gait unsteady and unnatural, as if each step was a struggle against some unseen force. The figure's approach was slow, almost hesitant, yet inexorable. 
In the dim light, the outline of the villager was barely discernible. A shadowy form that seemed to waver and flicker like a candle flame. As the figure drew closer, stepping into a patch of moonlight, a new horror became grotesquely clear. The villager's eyes were devoid of life, replaced by a ghostly white that glowed like the moon in the clouds above. Then, with a suddenness that took our breath away, the figure's face contorted in a horrific rip. The skin split apart, unzipping to reveal the nightmare beneath. A gaping maw lined with rows of needle-sharp teeth, dripping with blood and a viscous black fluid. Frozen in shock, we could only watch in horror as the creature lunged at Tom. Its attack was swift and brutal. A blur of motion that ended with the sickening sound of flesh being shredded and bone crushed. Tom's screams were abruptly silenced and he collapsed to the ground, his body twitching in the final throes of death. Panic gripped us as the creature, having claimed its first victim, turned its milky white gaze towards us. Lena's scream pierced the night, shattering the paralyzing terror that had held us. David cursed loudly, his voice tinged with disbelief and fear. Sarah's ashen face seemed unable to tear away from the gruesome scene. I grabbed her arm, pulling her back to the present. We have to run, now! I yelled my voice barely recognizable even to myself. Adrenaline coursed through my veins as we turned and fled into the maze of houses and alleys, desperate to escape the impossible unfolding nightmare. As we sprinted away, the night erupted with the sounds of our pursuers. Villagers poured out of the dark and let out chilling moans that seemed to follow us. A chorus of the damned drawing closer by the second. Our escape was a desperate, wild rush through the village. We'd been separated from our vehicle and needed a place to hide. We found a house that seemed abandoned and we rushed inside, closing the door behind us. With shaking hands, we barricaded the door, my heart thundering in my ears. The sounds of these people were close and getting closer their moans and shuffling steps, a warning of the incoming danger. Huddled in the darkness, we tried to catch our breath, to make sense of the nightmare that had enveloped us. This place was home to a horror we'd never imagined, and now we had to think of a way out, before we all ended up like Tom. Inside the dark confines of our temporary refuge, the sound of our labored breaths echoed in each other's ears before I quietly urged everyone to further barricade the house. We quickly moved furniture against the doors and windows, creating a weak barrier, but better than nothing. David checked his phone, hoping for a signal to call someone for help, but there was nothing. Sarah searched and distributed whatever makeshift weapons she could find. A dull kitchen knife, 
a heavy candlestick, and a piece of broken furniture was all that we could find. The night outside was alive with the nightmarish wails and thuds of the transformed villagers. We need to stay quiet and hope they move on, I whispered, trying to sound more confident than I felt. But as the minutes ticked by, it became clear that our pursuers were not giving up so easily. Suddenly, a loud crash against the front door jolted us into action. The barricade shuddered under the impact of bodies slamming against it. They're trying to break in. David yelled, his voice heavy with panic. We braced ourselves, pushing back against the furniture as the wood door buckled and groaned. Another crash, louder and more forceful, splintered the wood. Through the widening gaps, we could see the twisted faces of the villagers, their eyes devoid of humanity, their heads splitting down the middle. The barricade wouldn't hold. They were coming in. Get to the back of the house! I ordered, my voice barely audible over the sounds of the assault. We retreated, but not quickly enough. The front door gave way with a deafening crash, and the creatures poured in like the raging waters of the river Styx. In the ensuing chaos, Lena was grabbed by one of the creatures. Her scream was cut short as its teeth sank into her neck. In the next second, five more villagers' heads peeled open and clamped down jagged broken spikes, tearing into Lena's body. I could see the tears rolling down her cheek in slow motion as they shredded her apart, shaking their abhorrent heads like a wolf killing its prey. David, Sarah, and I backed away, but there wasn't anywhere to run. The creatures were everywhere and still pouring in mindlessly intent on our destruction. Desperately, we tore away the stacked furniture from one of the windows that led to a narrow alley, and with no other options, I smashed the glass and we all clambered out. The village had become a labyrinth of death and I wasn't sure we'd make it out. I was trying to lead us back to our vehicle, but every path in that direction seemed to be blocked by shambling, moaning monsters. The mine loomed ahead, its dark maw promising either salvation or a deeper descent into terror. It felt like we were being herded into it. But with no other options, we pressed on, driven by adrenaline and sheer survival instinct. As we plunged into the abyss, the cool, damp air enveloped us. Every step descended further into complete darkness. We pulled out our phones, their only use now as a flashlight. Casting long, ominous shadows against the rough-hewn rock walls, The tunnels were a claustrophobic nightmare. The ceiling was low in most places, forcing us to stoop as we moved. The walls were close enough to touch both sides, 
damp and slick with condensation. Every sound was amplified in the narrow space. Our footsteps, our ragged breathing, the distant muffled sounds of the creatures now behind us. David led the way, his phone's light shifting constantly as he navigated the treacherous path. The ground was uneven, littered with sharp rocks and loose stones that crunched underfoot. Each hasty step was a risk of slipping or twisting an ankle, and being slowed down now would mean certain death. The air grew heavier, the oppressive weight of the earth above us growing by the second as we seemed to go deeper. The sounds of our pursuers reverberated through the tunnels. The moans and shuffles of the creatures were a constant, horrifying pressure. Their sounds seemed to come from all directions. Disorienting and terrifying in the echoing confines of the mines. We stumbled upon a fork in the path, and for a moment, indecision paralyzed us. Left or right. Each choice was as ominous as the other. We chose left, a decision made in haste, driven by the ever closer sounds of the approaching monsters. As we delved deeper into the mine, the oppressive darkness seemed to press in on us. The air was stale, filled with the scent of earth, and something else, something faintly putrid. The fear was a living thing that clung to us as we navigated the maze of tunnels. It was not just a fear of being killed, but something instinctual. The primal terror of being lost in the dark, of being swallowed by the earth itself. The deeper we ventured into the mines, the more alien the environment became. The narrow beam of our phone's lights barely pierced the all-consuming darkness, revealing little more than the immediate path ahead. The walls of the tunnel seemed to close in around us, slick with moisture or something else, something organic and repulsive to the touch. It was in one of these tighter passageways that we first heard a new, disturbing sound. A soft, wet slithering that seemed to come from all around us. At first, we ignored it, thinking it was just dripping water from the ceiling. But the sound was too discordant. Too alive. Suddenly, David froze. His light revealing a horrifying sight on the tunnel wall. Small, leech-like creatures gathered in mass each about the size of a finger, writhing and pulsating in a grotesque swarm. They were unlike any animal we'd ever seen, with slick, black bodies, and an unsettling number of tiny, grasping limbs. Before we could react, one of the creatures launched itself at Sarah. It attached to her arm with alarming speed, its body pulsating as it latched on. Sarah screamed, a sound of terror and pain, as she tried to pull the creature off, 
the leech's mouth, a circular maw filled with needle-like teeth clamped down harder in response. David and I rushed to her aid, but as we did, more of the creatures detached from the wall, drawn by the commotion. They swarmed toward us, a living carpet of writhing, hungry bodies. We stomped and backpedaled, but they were relentless. In the chaos, another leech found its way to David's leg, its teeth sinking into his flesh with sickening ease. He cried out, batting at the creature with a desperate frenzy. The small chamber echoed with our shouts and the wet sounds of the leeches jumping and falling. It was a battle for survival against a swarm that was as repulsive as it was deadly. Every second spent fighting them off was a second that brought the other creatures in the mine closer to us. Finally, with a combination of frantic scraping and sheer luck, we managed to remove the leeches. Sarah's arm and David's leg bore angry, bloody marks where the creatures had fed. The wounds were deep, and the flesh around them was already starting to show signs of a strange reaction, turning a sickly shade and swelling unnaturally. We knew we had to keep moving to escape this hellish place, but the encounter had taken its toll. Sarah was pale and trembling, her eyes wide with shock. David limped, his face contorted in pain with every step, and all around us the mine seemed to come alive with the sounds of our unseen hunters, drawing ever closer. We pressed on, our lights casting feeble beams into the void, the silence broken only by our ragged breaths and David's pained limping. As we navigated through another particularly narrow section of the tunnel, the air grew increasingly damp and thick with a miasma of decay that clung to our nostrils, causing us to retch. The walls seemed to pulse with a life of their own, slick with that black substance. Without warning, a soft squelching sound filled the air, a noise like wet flesh hitting the ground. We swung our lights up to the source and recoiled in horror. Above us, the ceiling writhed with a mass of the leech-like creatures, their bodies squirming and twisting over each other in a grotesque, pulsating dance. Before we could react, the creatures began to drop from the ceiling, raining down upon us like a living nightmare. David, caught in the center of the downpour, screamed as the creatures swarmed over him. They latched onto his skin with voracious hunger, their needle-like teeth piercing into his flesh with ease. Sarah and I desperately tried to help, but with each passing moment, more seemed to pile on him. The cave was filled with the echoes of David's screams, the wet slap of the creatures hitting the ground, and the sickening crunch of their teeth tearing flesh. In mere moments, David was engulfed by the swarm, his body disappearing beneath the writhing black mass. 
his screams grew muffled, then ceased altogether, replaced by the ghastly sound of the creatures feasting. We watched in frozen horror as they burrowed into him, disappearing beneath his skin, which rippled and bulged grotesquely with their movements. Sarah and I had no choice but to flee, leaving behind the horrific scene before we became a part of it. The tunnel echoed with the sounds of our footsteps and the wet, squelching noises of the creatures feasting on David. We ran blindly, driven by a primal urge to escape the horrors that hunted us. The tunnels eventually opened into an expansive cavern, a stark contrast to the constrictive passageways we had traversed. The sight that greeted us was beyond the realm of any horror we'd experienced thus far, a scene that would haunt the dark recesses of our minds for whatever short period we had left to live. In the center of the cavern stood a gargantuan creature, half encased in jagged stone. The leech, as we now knew that villager had been referring to, was a monstrous entity. Its flesh, a mottled black and glistening like wet tar, its form was a grotesque tapestry of tentacles and maws, each pulsating and writhing with a life of their own. The creature was illuminated by the flickering torches held by the transformed villagers, who chipped away tirelessly at its stony prison, their eyes vacant, their movements robotic. The villagers, now mere extensions of the leech's will, formed a morbid congregation around the leech. Some were attached to it by umbilical-like tendrils that burrowed into the back of their skulls, creating a network of living conduits. These villagers were not just infected, they were a part of the leech, a collective organism driven by a singular, malevolent consciousness. One of the villagers, a man whose eyes were as lifeless as the stone surrounding the leech, stepped forward, his movements jarring and unnatural like a poorly articulated puppet. A thick appendage extended from the creature, embedding itself into the back of the man's head. His mouth opened, but the voice that emerged was not human. It was a guttural, echoing timber that seemed to come from the very depths of the earth. You who trespass in the realm of the ancient. And the voice boomed. Bear witness to the awakening of an age-old power. You have been chosen, not by fate, but by necessity. The air in the cavern grew heavy, filling with a growing sense of dread. The leech continued to speak through its human puppet, feeding that swelling dread. I am the harbinger of a new era, a force that has slumbered for eons beneath the earth. My children, born from the depths, shall inherit this world. 
The torchlight cast eerie shadows on the walls, the dancing flames reflecting in the vacant eyes of the villagers. They moved closer to us, encircling us in a tightening noose of inevitability. Your kind has long forgotten the ancient pacts, the sacred bonds that once held sway. But the earth remembers, and it yearns for the return of its rightful stewards. The cycle must be completed, the balance restored. The leech's body convulsed, and more of its tendrils reached out touching the villagers who surrounded us. They responded with a chilling chorus of moans, their bodies contorting in unnatural ways, as if controlled by unseen puppeteers. You stand at the precipice of a new age, a witness to the dawn of my reign. Your flesh, your essence, shall be the foundation upon which my empire is built. Sarah and I, the last remnants of our doomed expedition, could only watch in horror as the villagers advanced. Their hands outstretched, their faces expressionless. The inevitability of our fate was a crushing weight a despair that suffocated all hope. In those final moments, as the leech's tendrils reached for us, the cavern seemed to spin, the torches blurring into a whirlwind of light and shadow. The last thing I remember was the cold touch of the creature, a sensation that was both numbing and excruciating as darkness consumed everything. Warning, signal interruption detected. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you albeit in a more light-hearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. 
Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Signal connection restored. As the sun beats down over Africa, its rays make the earth like the coals of a great fire. I, Kwame, find myself standing at the doorstep of the unknown. The mine has always been a place of hard labor and unending toil, but today, it promises me something different, something more. With a mixture of worry and excitement, I slip away from my usual path in the mine. The whispers of the elders about cursed tunnels and forbidden depths echo in my mind, but they do not deter me. There's a yearning in my heart, a silent hope that maybe in these unexplored depths lies a discovery that could change my fate. The deeper parts of the mine are cooler, the crushing heat of the sun replaced by a chilling stillness. The sounds of my fellow villagers fade into a distant hum, leaving me alone with the soft echo of my footsteps and the flickering light of my torch. The air here is thick with the dust of old, undisturbed by human hands. As I venture further, the walls of the mine begin to change. They are smoother, almost polished, as if shaped by forces beyond mere pickaxes and sweat. Ancient markings I've never seen before cover the walls. They are complex and mysterious, telling stories of a time long forgotten. My heart races as I come upon what looks to be a hidden chamber, its entrance obscured by loose stones and darkness. A sense of destiny fills me, a feeling that what lies beyond this wall is meant for me, and me alone. With hands that tremble from both fear and anticipation, I use my pickaxe to break and remove the stones. The gap widens, revealing a chamber that feels like another world. The air is cooler here, tinged with the scent of the earth and something else. Something ancient. I crawl through the opening, my torch casting eerie shadows on the chamber walls. The same markings are here, but more pronounced, their patterns weaving a mesmerizing tapestry of the unknown. In the center of the chamber, half buried in the earth, is something that defies description. It's massive, dark, and compelling. Drawn by a force I cannot resist, I approach it. This could be my escape from the life of endless labor, a treasure to secure my freedom. The object is unlike any mineral or gemstone known to our village. It's as if it's pulsing with a life of its own. As I reach out, my fingers inches from its surface. The air around me seems to thicken. A strange energy emanates from the object, sending ripples through my body. 
my mind teeters on the edge of understanding and fear. I hesitate for a moment, the gravity of a potentially life-altering situation settling in. This could be the moment that changes everything. With a deep breath, I push aside my fears and touch the object. The moment my skin makes contact, the world shifts. Pain and ecstasy flood my senses, blurring the line between reality and something else. I am Kwame, but I am also becoming part of something much larger, much older than myself. The chamber around me fades as I'm drawn into the embrace of the ancient object. It speaks to me in a language older than words, filling me with visions of power, freedom, and a destiny far beyond the confines of the mine. I stand at the precipice of a new existence, my life as a miner falling away. The creature, the leech, has awakened, and I am its herald, its conduit to the world above. Emerging from the shadows of the mine, I feel the weight of a new presence within me. The entity which whispered its name to my soul, Naira, a word that resonates with ancient power, now courses through my veins. As I walk back towards the village, the familiar sights of my home now seem distant, as though I am seeing them through a new lens. The entity, Naira, speaks in a hushed whisper inside my mind its voice a constant hum that guides my actions. I move through the village, a sense of purpose driving my steps. My brothers and sisters, who toil in the sun and bow under the weight of hard labour, need to see what I have found. They need to know there is something more beyond the endless cycle of digging and suffering. As I approach the first of the huts, I can feel Naira pulsing within me, eager to spread its influence. The few villagers who see me pause, sensing something has changed. I am no longer just the villager Kwame who toils the mines. I am something more, something connected to an ancient power that has lain dormant beneath our feet. I gather them, speaking with a voice that is both mine and not mine. Brothers and sisters, I say, there is something in the mine, something wondrous. It speaks of power, of freedom. It calls itself Naira. Their eyes show fear and confusion, but also curiosity. The mines have always been a place of darkness and struggle, but now they hold a promise of something greater. I can see the flicker of hope in their eyes, a spark that Naira is eager to fan into a flame. Come, I urge them, let me show you, let me show you the gift that Naira has bestowed upon us. The night is still, the stars above bear witnesses to the threshold of a new era. Many follow, drawn by the promise of change. We move together towards the mine, the place that has been our prison now becoming the cradle of our rebirth. But not all. They will, soon enough. case designated as Leech by the Redwood Bureau represented a profound and unsettling chapter in the Bureau's ongoing efforts to understand and contain unexplained phenomena. The events that transpired in that small village, now a desolate echo of its former self, are not merely a tale of terror, but a harsh reminder of the fragility of our own understanding of the world around us. After the Bureau's operatives arrived at the village, they were met with a scene of eerie abandonment. Homes stood empty, 
meals left untouched on tables. Tools dropped as if their users had vanished into thin air. The only evidence of the entity's existence came from tissue samples recovered from the site. Advanced memory sequencing of these samples revealed fragmented images and echoes of Naira, a name that resonates with ancient power and fear. The operatives conducted a thorough investigation, combing through every corner of the village and the mines below. However, Naira, or the leech, and those it had taken were nowhere to be found. It was as if the earth had swallowed them whole, leaving behind only the whispers of their existence. The markings in the mine, a language unknown yet eerily familiar, suggested a narrative far older than any local legend. In the wake of the incident, the Bureau faced a barrage of questions with few answers. The disappearance of the entity and its converted followers poses a significant concern. Where did they go? Could Naira have moved to a new location, carrying its influence and power to another unsuspecting community? The possibility of its spread, the potential for it to emerge elsewhere, remains a source of deep unease within the Bureau. The case of the Leech is a stark reminder of the unknown dangers that lurk on the fringes of our reality. It challenges the Bureau's mandate to remain in power and control. The realization that there are entities beyond their control, ancient forces that can uproot entire communities, is a humbling and terrifying truth, one that the Redwood Bureau would see changed. As the Bureau continues its efforts to track and contain Naira, the story of the village serves as the grim reality. It underscores the importance of respecting the mysteries that exist in our world, of heeding the warnings passed down through generations. In our pursuit of knowledge and progress, we must be mindful of the delicate balance that exists between humanity and the ancient powers that share our planet. This case remains open, a file filled with more questions than answers. The Bureau's operatives keep watch, knowing that Naira could resurface at any time and anywhere. For now, the only certainty is the uncertainty, the knowledge that the world holds secrets that we are yet to fully grasp, and that many of these secrets are best left, are best undisturbed. left undisturbed. Undisturbed. undisturbed.